Just as crazy as you stand for 90.1 FM. Welcome to the Herbology Show. I am so excited and so delighted today to receive in the studio right here the one and only Anita Hussein. Now, Anita, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? You are. Thank you, Ustaz Ramzi. Uh, it's spelled the German way, but it's pronounced Hussein, like Barack. It. Well, I love it. Now, why German? Well, my father emigrated to the to Germany first, where his second name, Hossein, was turned into Husen to sound a little bit more German. Uh, this was in the 70s when storefronts would say, now hiring, no foreigners apply. Mm. So the, the, the culture was very different in terms of um, uh, welcomeness to foreigners, yet the five years my dad spent in Germany were some of the best years of his life and he has a lot of nostalgia for that place and whenever we run into a German speaker he will start chatting with them in German so it's a it's a beautiful memory I think the human condition has a natural propensity to remember the good and forget the bad and um, I think that's my my father's memory of his time in Germany in the 70s and that's just one of the uh, adventures and uh, chapters in your life, Anita, that I'd like to speak about today. Sure. We're going to do that, but let me first introduce you to our mm-hmm. listeners. You are the new director of the Marcas Resource Center, correct? Correct. And you are also the Associate Dean for Student Affairs here at Stanford. How long have you been here? I am just wrapping up month two. Month two. Ahlan wa sahlan. Ahlan fiq. I feel so blessed to be here. I feel that that there is so much support for making the Marcas, which is a new resource center uh, at Stanford, grow and sustain and uh, leave a positive imprint on the university community. I'm thrilled to be part of a unit where I have wonderful colleagues, Ustaz Ramzi included. Um, so much support for, for every everybody around me that I've been interacting with in the last two months, really wants to see the Marcos grow and wants me to do a good job. So everyone's already in my corner, and I feel like there's so many people to catch me as I slip to make sure I don't fall as I take on this new role. And I have to say that within the two months you've been here already, there's such a buzz, uh, including uh, lately the Amal Masluthi um, event. Can you tell us about uh, that a little bit? It, that that was such a, uh, a beautiful moment to be a part of. want to thank you, uh, Ramzi, for bringing ML, for doing the, the relationship building for many years now, having her on your show. And uh, it was my honor to host the first in face-to-face conversation between you and ML, a relationship that we've all listened to on the radio for years. And her voice was so authentic. She was in front of an audience of 40 to 50 people having lunch and was ready to open up and be vulnerable to talk about her struggles, talk about her childhood, talk about her relationship to art and her self-identity as an artist at the forefront in a reception 
where she is seen as an activist mm-hmm. and, and to tease out those roles of activist and artist. And I know you do a great job of teasing out those roles, <laughs> activist, artist, uh, and academic. I could not compare to, to, uh, to Amal Maslusi, certainly, or to you, Anita, because really you've created a safe space, I think, on campus. It is, uh, the Marcas is uh, a resource center for Muslim students, but also it's hospitable and open to all, isn't it? Absolutely. The full title is the Marcas is a resource center for engagement with peoples and cultures of the Muslim world. Mm. So this is for anyone curious or interested intellectually or otherwise in the Muslim world. So students of yours, students studying Arabic, Turkish, or Persian, or Urdu, uh, students interested in history, art, politics of the Middle East, folks that might have a Middle East ethnicity that they're reconnecting with or want to continue maintaining that identity. We serve students who want to be there and who want to be part of the community. I'm thrilled that my job is to create community. And the way I see community is not by who's inside and who's outside, but by expanding the tent, opening the umbrella so that as many people that want to be there can be there and feel safe and feel empowered to have tough, courageous conversations. So not just safe, but brave. Anita, do you have anything um, planned for the next, uh, well, let's say this quarter for the fall? Absolutely. We have a few fantastic programs that we're rolling out this fall. Our continuation with uh, our relationship with Stanford Live continues into this week. So we have a scholar, activist, artist, Suad Abdul Khabir, and she will be performing with Narsi, formerly known as the Narcissist, as well as Mark Gonzalez on Friday night. So uh, we're thrilled to be able to uplift her voice and uh, provide a space for an interesting conversation with her. We also have some fantastic signature programming. We're going to have a freshman dinner to welcome all our freshmen and transfer students and get them to know upperclassmen. We're piloting a new initiative to increase graduate student involvement in the Marcas. So we are starting a graduate student steering committee where we're just going to listen to graduate students tell us what they need. What kind of resource can the Marcas be for graduate students? And from there, uh, based on, on, on their interest and their investment, uh, move forward with programming specific to graduate students. So I'm, I'm thrilled that we're going to engage with graduate students. I think by the numbers, there are probably more graduate Muslim students at Stanford than undergraduate. Oh. Uh, a lot of graduate students are international students. A lot of graduate students, by the nature of their work, spend time in the lab or in the library, in their silo. And we want to provide an opportunity to find retreat to build community and connect with other people outside of their lab or their department. You also have some weekly um, uh, slots that are always sort of there. You have the chai chat, is that it? Uh, That's right, right. So we are uh, rebranding our Tuesday chai. It's every afternoon at f- from 4 to 5 at the Marcas. Oh, it's, every afternoon. Anyway. Sorry, every Tuesday afternoon. Every Tuesday afternoon. From 4 to 5. It's now going to be part of what we're calling Tuesdays 
with Marcas. Nice. So uh, a play on the Tuesdays with Maury book. Um, <laughs> we have a lot going on on Tuesdays at the Marcas. So we want to highlight those things and I'll give you a little preview. So every Tuesday there's chai from four to five. We just have some healthy and unhealthy snacks <laughs> and some caffeine and some non-caffeinated beverages as well. And uh, a time with no agenda just for people to come and be together nice. in community. Yeah, that's Tuesday afternoons. Tuesday I, afternoons. I plan to come and, and, and de-stress. Absolutely. And another few resources that we're bringing to Marcas on Tuesdays are uh, the Hume Center here for Writing and Speaking is offering both professional and peer tutoring at the Marcas Tuesdays, 1130 to 1.30. It's drop-in, and we have a wonderful lecturer uh, named Nora who can tutor in Arabic and English. And this is free uh, for, for Free drop-in. Um, as you need help with uh, reading or speaking in English or Arabic. That is a resource at the Marcas on Tuesdays, 1130 to 130. The other other new um, initiative that we'll be starting starting Tuesday, October 18th, is uh, drop-in counseling hours with the CAPS counselors. So that'll be from noon to 430 every Tuesday. You can come in, sign up for an anonymous uh, confidential 30 minutes to to get some coaching, some guidance, some some uh, strategies for managing stress, to talk to a professional about whatever you feel uh, you need to talk to about. That's going to be fantastic. That's going to be on a drop-in basis. And all you need to do is be a student of Stanford. Yeah. And I would think this is a necessary, necessary outlet right now. Right. And you don't have to call. You don't have to wait for an appointment. You don't have to walk all over all the way to Vaden. It's drop-in. It's anonymous. You sign up on a little sheet of paper in front of the door for a 30-minute session. And it's a service we're going to offer every week. And as a new director... As a a new steward of this space, I welcome any feedback, any suggestions for other resources that we can provide at the Marcas. So I'm I'm here and I'm willing to work with new ideas as I onboard in this new position. And for those people who may not remember the days and the dates, of course, you have them online. Anita, where would people go to get more information about future events, etc.? That's www.marcas.stanford.edu. Marcas is spelled M-A-R-K-A-Z. And it means center, doesn't it? It's it's a beautiful word yeah. because it means center not only in Arabic, <laughs> right. but also in Urdu, in Turkish, and in Persian. Yeah. And you also have that wonderful interactive Facebook page, which also, you know, serves as another way to uh, to interact. So my uh, my guest today is Anita Hussein. I'm going to pronounce it Hussein, although uh, I hear it pronounced Hussein too as well. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to Anita a little bit about her journey that brought her to Stanford. So please don't go anywhere. Rough and rugged hip hop with your host M Smooth. From the latest underground joints to the dusty and dirty old school records from the past. It's an urban inner city experience to kick off your weekend proper. Urban inner city experience Fridays 9 p.m. to midnight on KZSU Stanford. And we are back right here at KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. I'm sitting here having a delightful chat today with the new associate dean and director of the Medicas Resource Center here at Stanford. And I would like to start perhaps at the beginning. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your background and and uh, how you came to be at Stanford? It, it would be my pleasure. I uh, 
was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, to Pakistani immigrants. My home languages are Urdu and Gujarati, and uh, I grew up in an affluent suburb of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Went to public schools. It, it was it was a pretty homogenous society, mostly Scandinavian, mostly Lutheran, and I, I I think there was a part of me that was trying to blend in. So there's there's a lot of parts of my heritage that uh, that I would be embarrassed by. My mom uh, was a social worker a psychologist for the state of Minnesota. And I remember she would go into work sometimes in uh, traditional Pakistani clothes, a shalwar kameez. I, I, I would be embarrassed, even though she would get so many compliments on how beautiful her clothing was and the colors and the patterns. <laughs> I just wanted her to look like everybody else's moms <laughs> in the well, same trousers. When you were a kid, we have to tell everybody. It's, I don't know what kid wouldn't feel that right, way. But, right. uh, but, but, but you actually uh, stayed there until you graduated from high school. Yep, graduated high school, growing up in the same town, same home, uh, until I was 18. And then I left for Emory University for college. Uh, Emory got on my radar because I was in debate on the competitive debate team in high school, and Emory has a reputable debate program. I applied to Emory, visited Atlanta during kind of admit weekend, and um, was enamored with the city of Atlanta and Emory University. I majored in Middle Eastern and South Asian studies at Emory. I uh, stumbled into a few Arabic classes with the authors of Al-Kitab, uh, Mahmoud Al-Batal and Kristen Brustad, were my first Arabic teachers. Wow. And um, really uh, fell in love with the program, the professors, their pedagogy, and really felt a sense of community in the Middle Eastern studies world. After graduation, I realized that I wanted to get my roll my sleeves up and do something in the Middle East, not just study about the Middle East. So I joined the Peace Corps and served as a hygiene and sanitation worker in rural Morocco. Mashallah. Yeah. So there I picked up uh, Darija, Moroccan dialect, also uh, a dialect of uh, Amazigh, Berber, uh, from the Sous region. So it's called Tasusit. And served for two years in the Peace Corps, came back and followed my my undergraduate advisors, Mahmoud and Kristen, to UT Austin, where they had started a graduate program in teaching Arabic as a second language. So there I got my master's with a, a focus on uh, what I called religious heritage students of Arabic. So the cultural heritage students are kids, Arab, Arab-American, grew up speaking Arabic, but maybe they don't necessarily read and write. Religious heritage students are non-Arabs, Turks, Persians, Pakistanis, African-American Muslims, converts, Muslims from uh, any non-Arab part of the world who might be able to read Quranic Arabic without understanding much, or might know some lexical items, some cognates, some words from na other native languages or religious liturgical language that they know that gives them an advantage in the classroom, but that advantage wasn't uh, deeply explored. So that was my area of interest was kind of seeing what are those students' motivations? What advantages do they bring? How do their motivations change as they continue their study of Arabic? And um, what are their teaching and learning preferences? So I graduated. Part of my graduate work involved uh, doing the Center for Arabic Study Abroad CASA program mm -hmm. in Cairo. 
Cairo. I was in Cairo the year before the revolution. So I left in August before January 2011. That year in Cairo was a fantastic uh, year of exploration, uh, meeting artists and leftists and intellectuals and journalists and authors and some of my favorite contemporary Arab authors, um, getting to know them. and um, Just as the revolution was, was taking place. Right, but right before the revolution was yeah, taking place. Yeah. Yep. Wow, mashallah. And so, uh, so that was a, a year of discovery and connection. It was a very alive year. It felt like 10 years compressed into one. My mom visited me when she was in, uh, when I was living in Cairo. She visited for about five weeks. And she, she said, you know, I feel like I've spent a year here. Wow. In, in just those five weeks. So Cairo is a magical city and I was enamored and um, uh, came back, finished my master's and I started teaching Arabic at the university level. So I first went back to Atlanta, taught at Georgia State University, which is an urban campus right in downtown Atlanta. It's a commuter school. Uh, Georgia State is a big school. Georgia State graduates more African-Americans than any other university really? in the country. In, in, in America? Yep, including historically black colleges and universities. Wow, I did not know that. Yep, so that was a, a, a fantastic three years I spent teaching Arabic at Georgia State. I was the advisor for the Muslim Students Association there, and we had Fulbright language teaching assi- uh, assistants as well that, uh, that I helped uh, mentor while I was there. We had a, an Arabic hall at Georgia State, and so I was the, the faculty advisor for the Arabic hall. We did some fun, engaging programming through the residential life at Georgia State. And then I moved on to teach Arabic at Princeton University in New Jersey in the Department of Near Eastern Studies, a very, very esteemed uh, faculty. And I had the opportunity to work and learn with some fantastic scholars and enjoyed the luxury of resources, you know. Available um, at at Princeton. Absolutely. So I was able to uh, create um, a Moroccan dialect elective course. Nice. Um, so teaching Moroccan there and the advantage of not having to worry about enrollment. Uh, if there's two or three students, that's enough for an innovative classroom for a new topic of discovery. So uh, there was a lot of opportunity for growth and learning at Princeton. The last two years when I was there, I realized that some of the most important conversations about campus climate, about feeling a sense of welcome, Mm. inclusion and exclusion. These were conversations that were happening on all college campuses or most college campuses in the United States. And these conversations were tough to bring into the Arabic classroom. There was a linguistic barrier with having an immersion classroom. There was a competitive barrier of students being graded at an elite institution where they're trying to get good grades. And there was a time barrier of having to get through the next chapter or to get through a certain syllabus. So there wasn't enough time really to pause and, and say, what's going on? How are you feeling? How is this protest affecting uh, your ability to be part of this community and to, uh, to be a good student? So that was a moment that I realized there was an opportunity to impact students' lives outside the classroom through working in an organization like Student Affairs. And so uh, when I was informed of this opportunity here at Stanford University to be part of Student Affairs and to direct a center for engagement with the Muslim world, it felt like the right, perfect fit. And I am so thrilled to be here. I feel like it's an honor and I, I feel like it's a really important responsibility, especially uh, given the political climate, given the world politics, not just the, the United States, 
United States electoral politics, that there is a serious need for spaces like the Marcas, specifically for students, but also perceptually for the world. It's an honor to be here, and it's also a huge responsibility that I don't take lightly. Yeah. And already you have made such an impact um, uh, on the Stanford campus. We are the ones who are honored to have you here. Anita, you are, as they say in Arabic, ahlan wa sahlan, meaning you are among ahl, and all shall be sahl, inshallah. Uh, Anita, I could speak to you for hours and hours. In fact, I hope this is only the first of many interviews to come here on the Arab yeah, Show. But I think one question I'd like to ask um, in terms of closing, and it's not an easy one, mm-hmm. is um, you know, looking around at the state of uh, things right now for Muslim Americans especially, and at Stanford and elsewhere. How are you feeling about the, the, the state of things? Are you, you've been, you, you were born and raised in America, you've seen America go through different stages. Do you feel that the current climate is something unprecedented? And if so, what are some of the ways that you might suggest for people to uh, become more active in terms of combating um, Islamophobia, stereotypes, and the kind of, you know, hatred, blatant hatred that I'm hearing in some of the news reports on mainstream television? Well, I think that the Muslim community has a history in the United States of resilience. And that history of resilience is where I'd like to start this conversation. I think that if you look at the immigrant stories, I can take my father's example. His first job moving in the United States was washing dishes at a nursing home in Minneapolis, Minnesota for $1.25 an hour. Bless his heart. But please go on, Anita. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for, you know, Uh, my parents to save and to invest in their children's education and to really look forward to the next generation is something that makes me feel a, a great sense of duty to carry forward and to pay forward. And I think this is a story that is not unique to my family. This is the immigrant story. And I think that if you look at many of the Muslim Americans here, first generation, second generation, or 10th generation, there are stories of resilience. There are stories of rising up from struggle, rising up from discrimination, from financial restraints, from exile, from separation. So the the current climate is a challenge. And I see challenge as an opportunity. And I think this is really an opportunity for the Muslim voice to be heard in in the most personal, direct, authentic ways. Uh, You know, I'm a fan of the cliche, think globally, act locally. And part of my values, part of my politic is this job, is to create community, to create safe space for tough and courageous conversations within the Muslim community and also beyond the Muslim community. And I encourage and invite everybody who is feeling unsettled with the state of the world to be a part of a local action, a local endeavor, a local uh, association or movement or community where there can be individual one-on-one smaller change. And I think the aggregate compilation of all these small changes can really make a big impact. I wanted to say alf shukr. Unawwarti the studio, ya Anita, bujudek fi balamz arabology. I'm going to allow you to or beg you to say something 
something in Arabic to our Arab American listeners here as we uh, bid you uh, au revoir and uh, hope to see you back again. My guest has been Anita Hussein, the Associate Dean and Director of the Merkaz Resource Center, who in two months has done quite a bit. And we're looking forward to many more uh, networking opportunities with the Merkaz, inshallah. Alf, alf, shukr alak, Ustaz Ramzi. Ana mamnuna jiddan wa mutashakira jiddan bi wujudak huna wa inta fannan wa Ustaz ra'a wa shakhsiya yani kabira jiddan wa samaat ismak qabal majid hon bi lisan Ustaz Salim Awais wa Ustaz Joel Bainan kaman fa bahis bi innani yani عرفتك قبل ما تعرفت عليك وأنا فعلا محظوظة ومبسوطة جدا أن أكون زميلة جديدة إلك شخصية جديدة هنا في مجتمع ستانفورد وفي The Peninsula كمان